Good afternoon, listeners. Tonight we will be listening to a roundtable discussion with the event coordinators of AetherCon Online Gaming Convention. Also, everyone here at MacNab Games would like to take a moment to personally thank each and every individual that came out and supported and backed our most recent Kickstarter, the Orc Office Party Card Game. We are currently in production, and rewards should be sent out within the next month or two. At that time, we will be releasing a pre-order platform on our site, macnabgames.com, before it becomes openly available worldwide on all other platforms. Also, tonight's podcast is brought to you in part by patentgrower.com, where we patent your idea. Tonight, we're going to be talking with a few members of the AetherCon staff. Tonight, we have with us Stephen Holodinsky and Dustin Smith. <laughs> so why don't you two go ahead and introduce yourselves. So we'll go ahead and start with Stephen. Um, yeah, that'll be me. I'm the one with the beard. Uh, my name is Stephen J. Holodinsky. Uh, I am from Canada. I guess I'm the event coordinator of AetherCon. And uh, am I known for much? Not really. <laughs> I just like the game. <laughs> so... Take it away, Dustin. My name's Dustin Smith. I'm a Scorpio. I like long walks on the beach, preferably <laughs> at night. I'm a huge fan of the Savage Worlds gaming system. Played it. I played second edition D&D, Fate, uh, Legend of the Five Rings, and a few other hit or miss. But I always go back to Savage Worlds. I've been... Involved in gaming for about maybe five years now, and I am the, uh, I guess you could say, leader of the Star City Savages uh, out of Roanoke, Virginia. I uh, was born and raised in North Carolina and then moved to Oklahoma. People ask me, they say, why did you move to Oklahoma? And I say it was far enough away from North Carolina. <laughs> but... Uh, then I got sick, and I, I had to move back east, so I moved to Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, I was one of the moderators for AetherCon 4 last year, and I had the distinct pleasure of interviewing some well-known creators, uh, J.P. Sheplow, uh, I forget the other fellow's name, and um, Jason Hardy from Shadowrun. So that was a good experience, and this year... I'm back as the Fest Hall Coordinator, and uh, if you tune into the Summer Roundtable series, you'll be seeing this ugly mug at least nine times in a row. <laughs> so, we've been talking a little bit about AetherCon, so maybe you guys could break it down for everybody listening. What exactly is AetherCon? AetherCon is an online tabletop role-playing game convention. Uh, this is our fifth year doing this, coming up this coming November. We do a lot, lot of uh, RPGing on virtual tabletops, which are, you know, if you want to break it down, it's they are basically web conferencing software with a lot of gaming doodads added in, like mapping technology and dice rolling technology, you know, macro technology, and a lot of other things that you normally wouldn't find on web conferencing software. But that's basically what it is. Um, to date, we've been using Roll20 a lot, uh, or Roll20 as access to Google Hangouts. There's a very, very good chance we'll also be using Google Hangouts as a standalone this year. One, of the, I mean, one of the big mantras about AetherCon is that it is free, 
and nothing is an install because we found that uh, when uh, we tried to uh, when we looked at other uh, online conventions I mean this is not a new thing this is the, I mean this this has been happening for 10 15 years or at least it was tried 10 to 15 years ago and the one thing we found that when we looked at why did they fail why didn't they last why aren't they here today the two things one there was there was two barriers one was the financial barrier okay and the second one was the technology barrier so we wanted to make sure that they were gone which is why it is free and everything is browser-based so there's no installs involved in regards to what exactly happens here like I said there's a lot of games being played we also have uh, publisher Q&A's uh, we have 24 of those this year we also have uh, 16 themed panels this year um, we have a whole scad of spade painting duels from really well-known artists um, Chris Malador is our, is our guy who runs that he's the artist uh, enclave coordinator and uh, speaking of Savage Worlds, he's done a, quite a bit of work for Pinnacle. Right. So, you know, if you look through your Savage Worlds book, chances are you've seen something by Chris in there. We introduced last year uh, Anvil Alley, and we have a miniature, well, the voting for the miniature painting contest, Cleric, Fighter, Wizard, Rogue. That takes place during AetherCon, but like all the painting is done throughout the year, and then they submit the graphics and people vote on them. And that's set up much like uh, football's World Cup, where you have group play and then a semifinal and a final. Um, there's also uh, Bobblesbrook Bazaar, which we uh, introduced last year, uh, which is uh, shop fronts for uh, publishers, uh, miniature makers, and artists, uh, where you can get things that they have, they're offering on sale for AetherCon weekend alone. Uh, you know, and given that it's close to Christmas, you know, you're probably looking at some things that are being introduced for Christmas, which is kind of neat. You know, it's uh, a sort of uh, a sneak peek on your Black Friday sales, basically. You know, and last year we had some Car Wars in there, which is not strictly an RPG. Uh, I would think that's more of a tabletop board game because it's there's there's no character creation involved. It's It's moving things around on a table. That was kind of cool, and we're trying to uh, expand that for this year as well. Right. Well, that would be awesome. Uh, yeah. Now, I heard you mention briefly um, Anvil's Alley and Bobble Brooks Bazaar. So there's different sections on the website that pertain to different uh, different categories or events? Yeah. Uh, everything's kind of divided up into, into areas uh, in regards to the... Uh, Themed panels, they all take place in a tavern. Jeez, I guess when I do that, I'm kind of off there. Tavern. <laughs> too wide for the camera. Uh, called the Philosopher's Conundrum. Publisher Q&As take place in a tavern called the Coin and Quill. Uh, these are both uh, video conferencing uh, rooms. Um, the uh, speed painting duels take place in... Uh, tavern called the wandering toad um, if you want to check out the miniature makers you can find them all on anvil alley um, the festal yeah, I mean that is the festal is basically those two taverns I mentioned before um, 
and I, there is no quote unquote tavern for uh, the RPGs because they take place on the on the virtual tabletops themselves. And of course, there is Bobblebrook's Bazaar, which is its own area as well. Stephen likes to come up with these very fancy names for <laughs> the rooms. We we should probably put a an actual description beneath the names. The good thing about having the different named uh, locations is it helps with an RPG sense and that immersive feel. Um, yeah, I mean that's why we play role playing games, don't we? Exactly. Is is to get away from where we are now and put ourselves somewhere else. So. Why not? Why not go? Why not go with that? In uh, the G Plus community, uh, a couple of days ago, there was a discussion uh, on role-playing games and mental health, and uh, I chimed in because, like, I actually work in mental health and clinician. And uh, in, when we when we work, one of the therapeutic methods is to actually role-play a scenario so that people become accustomed to it because role-playing overcomes that sort of fear that someone would have. So I think in terms of immersion, some people play the game to win and some people play the game to live. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's immersion is a big deal because this is where you can actually go out there and you can start sharing a fantasy. Uh, and sharing an environment and just see what happens. And, you know, there's a bonding to it that you don't get in a lot of other areas. Exactly. And so, you know, speaking on that, um, is that partially the reason why you wanted to start AetherCon in the first place, Stephen? Or was there another reason behind it? Or Oh, well, like I had mentioned, I had gone uh, to Europe for 10 years, and I took a bit of a sabbatical from RPG, and uh, I know that uh, when I left, um, I mean, if somebody came out with a new game, oh, that's really, that's cool. It didn't matter what game it was, didn't matter what company it was, what version it was, everybody clomped onto that game because they all wanted to try it. Mm -hmm. And when I came back... Um, the vitriol that was being spewed in the chat room is about this or that edition or this or that game or this or that right or whatever. It was just, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, if you look at where your entertainment dollar goes these days, uh, and you were to, if you were to count down the top 20 places, it's very, it's, it's un highly unlikely that tabletop role-playing games would be one of those 20. And if it was, it would be like between 16 and 20. It would not be up there. And so, I mean, uh, if you have people who are involved in this constantly at each other's throats, I mean, it's it's really bad. Because if someone who's never done this jumps into one of these chat rooms saying, hey, you know what, I think I'm going to try a role-playing game. And all yeah. they see is these bloody firebombs being lobbed back and forth between this guy and that. You know what's his reaction? What's the reaction going to be? They're just going to say, you know what? I'm going to take the seven bucks I was thinking of maybe putting towards something here, and I'm going to go see a movie because I don't have to, have to listen to this. <laughs> you know, so I mean that was the whole big idea why I 
you know, why AetherCon was started. Yeah. Uh, the idea was just to bring everybody together for one week, and it didn't matter what game they played or where they were from or, you know, anything. Just bring them out, everybody together, and just for three days, let's stop with all this crap and just have fun, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I mean, that's, that's a good way to do it because... Like I've I've talked with continuously about people, uh, you know, with people about the issue, <laughs> not about people with the issue, but <laughs> with people about the issue uh, of that. This industry is one of the few industries out there where the consumers and the supporters have uh, a lot more power over this industry than they do in almost any other industry that's out there in the world today, because. Uh, the fans are so loyal to whatever product or game that they support that if you do something that they enjoy and you react to them and you include them correctly, they're going to support you regardless of what happens. I mean, if you have like five typos in your book or you know you have an illustration that you know looks like a second grade cartoon, if you communicate with these people and 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 you work as a part of this community rather than trying to just you know control it and rule it. A lot of the time, the fans will actually support you, and they'll be like, "Hey, yeah, this is actually pretty cool because, you know, it's 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 a it's a stronger community than most others, and mm-hmm. it's more connected. But at the they same time, you have those exactly. But at the same time, it can sometimes get a little bit heated on, you know, who should I support? There's there's a certain amount of nerd rage involved. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to say this: this is the only. Um, this is the only community I've been in, entertainment-wise, where you can actually reach the people who produce things. Like, uh, yeah. I've gone on the G Plus community, and I've gone on the Facebook, you know, and I and I've actually like had thumbs up from like uh, just the people who make the content, and that was shocking because you don't see that. Like, if you're a musician, you don't see other musicians that are like well known liking your stuff and you know or if you're an athlete you don't see professional athletes liking your stuff that you're saying about the products yeah. Um, yeah but you but you do see that in a tabletop game and like you can actually influence it like there's this idea that you might be able to reach the people who make the product that you love yeah exactly I mean that's that's like I did uh, I worked as an extra on some of the uh, the film sets and everything down here in New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, as an extra, you're not even allowed to go up and talk to the actors. You can't right. even be in the same area as them. But right. last year we did AetherCon as a vendor. We've been to a couple other conventions. And, you know, it's, it's the first year for our company, and we're just walking out the little fish in the big pond, and we've got people, you know, artists, comic book artists. You know, we've got we start holding conversations with with Bob Salvatore, a person who we've read book, you know, read books by ever since we were kids. We've got right. comic book artists that you know worked on you know Spider Man stuff like that that we right. used to you know run out in the yard and play pretend, you know, throwing rocks at each other trying to dodge it like Spider Man or something. Right. But uh, <laughs> you know, the the people that brought us that much joy as kids, we were actually sitting down and communicating with these people and. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're just some. You know, we wrote a book, and uh, people enjoyed it, and so here we were. <laughs> so, right. So I mean, it just it impressed me. Just you know, the way this community 
all interacts together. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm serious. Like, I'm used to uh, trying to get in touch with people and just never getting anything. And now I'll just, like, make random comments, and owners of companies will just be like, yeah, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, we'll, we'll work on that. I'm like, well, holy crap, I read your stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, it, it's, it's one thing to sit at home and think, you know, watch TV and think, oh, it would be great if they did an episode about this, and you can post mm -hmm. and tweet about it all day long. But whenever right. it comes to role-playing games and, you know, the gaming industry as a whole, you know, you get on there and you say, hey, it would be great to see a class that can do this. Or, mm -hmm. you know, for instance, I just saw a thing uh, today where they were discussing that the Lord of the Rings is going to be, uh, somebody's working on making a D&D &D setting for it. And, you yeah. know, it, somebody, you know, must have brought that up at some point, and boom, there it is. So <laughs> my thought on creating a D&D &D setting for Lord of the Rings is, what? Don't you realize that's just first edition? <laughs> because that's what inspired Gygax... Because he's a Lord of the Rings, he's a Tolkien fan, and I'm yeah. sitting here thinking, why you you don't need to make something new? You just need to strip out everything that wasn't original. I don't know <laughs> if I could if I could actually sit down at a table. Uh, first of all, just to actually sit down and play would be just freaking awesome. You know, <laughs> usually I'm the one running playtesting, but <laughs> right. but if I could sit down at a table and somebody could let me cr roll up a character and play through the adventures of Luthien and Tenuvial. Mm -hmm. uh, Look, you got me. <laughs> you know, I mean, or, or you start rolling out the Silmarillion, you know, hey. <laughs> yeah. I've, you know, I've I've been wanting uh, Star Trek to do a series based on a colony planet for, like, years and years and years. Rick Berman hasn't gotten back to me yet, though. <laughs> Not sure why. Is Rick Berman still alive? Because that might be why. <laughs> <laughs> You need to burn the letter and have a seance. Then well, he'll get back yeah, to you. That's what I was wondering. Are you mailing this or are you channeling it? <laughs> right. Because that like, could be the issue. Yeah. It's like, no, I don't send letters to celebrities. I stare at the page and try to broadcast it with my mind. <laughs> that might be why I haven't gotten some messages back from certain individuals. Uh-huh. <laughs> Because I'm going to tell you, like last year, whenever I was reaching out to people, um, just, you know, in regards to AetherCon, you know, some of the, uh, I was looking, I was like, there's no way this person's going to respond back to me. And then I mailed them, and I was down at another convention, and that weekend they were like, hey, what are you doing? Uh, I can take five minutes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the kind of really neat thing about this community. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very... Inclusive. I, I, I said it before, but but I mean I can't think of a better word for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and now since since we're on that, um, now me personally, every convention I've been to, it's been from a vendor standpoint. Um, mm -hmm. So, how do you think Aethercon compares to something like a fixed location gaming convention like uh, GaryCon or? Um, uh, Wizards Con or uh, or PAX uh, or anything like that. Well, I mean, uh, I, mean, I think maybe both we can both talk to this. Uh, one thing I can say is that as a vendor, uh, AetherCon is free. 
Um, and that includes advertisements that have been conservatively priced at about $800 in worth um, that, that go up on the site. Um, basically, all we ask our vendors to do is, you know, run a game, make sure the shop front is stocked. Um, the shop front, which is what you find in Bobblebrook's Bazaar and in the page called Vendors Hall, uh, they are flow-throughs. Okay, which means that there's no money that we actually take in an exchange. Basically, they they go from our vendors hall they, and they link to the place that these people want to sell their products, the online sales clients, whether that be their own site or RPG Now or the Paizo uh, catalog because Paizo, you know, that's it, expanded quite a bit since it first opened up. You know, so whichever they whichever way they want to go, that's what it does, right? And it's very WYSIWYG, so you know, it, it you know you can you can bang it out in a snap. Um, so you know, these are the only two things we ask of them, and with that, they get the advertisements. Like I've said, um, there's a good chance they get one of the uh, 24 uh, live publisher Q and A's, which last 55 minutes. Now there's only 24 of them, so it's a first come first serve kind of thing. I mean, it's it's like, it's like we 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 bring our nation, if you will, and to their websites. We we think that's a good thing. You know, they they help us a little bit by running that game, and we help them by trying to drum up business for their for their website catalogs. One hand washes the other in that effect. Um, there are people that always loved a game, and they're always trying to get into a game, and there are people who want to try a new system, but they can't find anybody to play it. And AetherCon allows the player, the end player, to just go out on a limb, uh, sit down and try and have a good time in the safety of their own home, you know? Uh, November gets cold <laughs> in a lot of places. It gets freezing cold, and there are some people that are, you know they're sitting there and they're like, you know what? I want to be around people or I want to talk to people, but I don't want to go out. I don't want to freeze to death. I want to play this system or see what it's about. I want to meet people, but I want like the safety of being at home. I don't want to fight the traffic. I don't want to fight the crowd. I don't want to be leered at by that person in the furry suit. Whoever they may be, <laughs> and that's what we provide. We provide people the chance to very safely experience the gaming community, uh, potentially meet people online, talk to creators, see what the whole thing is about. I don't know if you guys remember it, but back in the 1980s, you know, you had the chick tracks, and everything was the devil. <laughs> And now we're coming out of that point where people are seeing, hey, you know what? This is a game. This is a social game. I am still waiting for Oprah to like do like add add like the DMG to the the, the book club. Right. <laughs> I, I think that would be a worthy addition. I think it would too, and then everybody would love it because she can start her own religion, but we can't roll dice on a table and pretend to be wizards. <laughs> While we're on the subject, I always pretend to be a cleric. You can't get more religious than that. <laughs> well, I mean, one good thing about it is the chick tracks actually created its own form of irony. 
in the sense that that's how our entire company got started. I was 15 years old, and um, I, I grew up in one of those households. You know mm -hmm. that uh, that that's the devil. So yeah. we uh, we created a role playing game that was Tolkien based, uh, mm -hmm. pre medieval history, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so on and so forth, low level basic D6 patterns, and we played a fantasy role playing game without it being anything else. And boom, you know, ten years later, we released Mortal Lad because that's basically it. We just slapped a cover on it. I'm going to throw something out to you that just shows you the absurdity of that whole, like, witch hunt. First off, D&D &D originally mm -hmm. was based off the writings of Tolkien, who was a devout Catholic. I mean, like, super, super devout. He actually led C.S. Lewis to Christianity, and C.S. Lewis became an Anglican. Yeah. And C.S. Lewis is like one of the most prolific Christian apologetists. And so the same thing that inspired The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Voyage of the Dawn, Shredder, the Screw Tape Letters, and all those wonderfully vaunted Christian literature also inspired D&D. &D, but because people can't wrap their head around it, it's evil. And... <laughs> And well, I mean, the, the, the devil idol with, like, you know, one eye game, you know, the jewels in the eyes probably didn't help matters. <laughs> Good old Vecna. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, I don't know if you guys, like, remember the old TV show. I would watch the TV show. Yeah, well, that's, it. that's the thing. is like, in our household, yeah. you couldn't, you could not, and I, I'm not even joking, you could not say Dungeons & Dragons. Right. That phrase could not come, those words could not come out of your mouth in the same sentence. So what we did was, and the way I got introduced was I was about 14, mm -hmm. and a buddy of mine, uh, he's like, hey, my brother got this new game, why don't you come check it out? So I'm thinking, you know, it's going to be a video game or something. Right. I show up, and they're sitting there with, like, you know, papers and everything, and I was like, why do you have homework? <laughs> and he's like, well, this isn't homework, this is a game. And okay, and, you know, I just watched the... Uh, I uh, just watched some of the Lord of the Rings cartoons that were done by Rankin and Bass in the 70s. Right. And uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, you know what? Let's give it a shot. And right. it led to something that I really didn't expect. And here I am today. <laughs> well, because you got, to, you got to live out a fantasy. And you got to be powerful. You know, you were placed in, like, real danger. And there was excitement. Um, but at the same time, you were able to overcome it. Uh, in psychological terms, we would call that uh, varying degrees of experience or varying degrees of arousal. But if you take somebody high and then you take somebody low, like they're worried, oh, my gosh, my guy's going to die, and then he lives, you get the sense of elation. It's like tabletop gaming is like a drug. <laughs> <laughs> I can vouch for that because GM Day, on RPG Now just came out, and I totally cracked out on that. <laughs> it's all about the endorphins. Oh, it is. You know, I just bought a bunch of random stuff, and then I started fantasizing about how I'm going to throw this in a game that is completely unrelated to what I just bought. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, sitting there looking at some of my supplements thinking, man, I've got a problem. <laughs> I um, can vouch for this. I just got done playing. Well, he just wrapped up a campaign that I played in. 
Yeah, and there was all kinds of stuff in there that you know. <laughs> yeah, I. Like, Stephen is talking about a game because, uh, like I said, I'm I'm a major Savage Worlds fanboy. I love the Deadlands franchise. I took uh, Deadlands Hell on Earth, and I'm also a fan of John Carpenter films. Uh, oh yeah. And so I did a Deadlands Hell on Earth mini campaign that was a dedication to John Carpenter's filmography. So we did nods to, of course, Escape, Escape from New York because it was taking place on Manhattan Island. Oh. We did nods to the blob. There was a, a gelatinous creature in the subways that could shapeshift and manipulate you. Uh, we did uh, nods to Big Trouble in Little China. That's actually the, the session where Steve came in on, uh, and he was playing... you want to describe your character in that one, Steve? Uh <laughs> <laughs> My character was uh, was described to me as the long lost Duke brother <laughs> from from the from the Tennessee Appalachians. Mm-hmm. His name was Lunk Pritchard. He drove around a '67 Vista Cruiser station wagon uh, that was painted tangerine and cream because those were the colors of the Tennessee Volunteers, and that um, had a it had Gatlin guns on a turret on the roof. Right. Oh, my God. So sounds, Steve, sounds like Steve uh. comes in on the one where we're doing the nod to Big Trouble in Little China, and the villain who is like this ancient Chinese vampire who's taken over Chinatown steals his car, and that's how he meets the party. Like. <laughs> yeah. Because nobody touches Big Orange unless nobody touches Big Orange. Even like if a like in Savage Worlds, if you do a critical fail, you break the machine that you're using because it's a critical fail. And one of the allied NPCs broke the Gatlin guns, and so Steve's mm. character just just get off my guns, <laughs> and he just refuses to let her touch the car ever again. That no. was a. Yeah, and that was a fun campaign. Um, no, I, I, I personally, I haven't played Savage World. So is it is it kind of like uh, is it kind of like the old cyberpunk uh, settings? Uh, this is post-apocalyptic more than cyberpunk. So oh, okay, cool. uh, what I love is that, and I'm gonna plug, I'm gonna plug uh, Savage Worlds for a minute. Yes, I am a fanboy. I I don't apologize for that. <laughs> What I love about it is that it's a rule set, and you can put it into any single game you want. In fact, you can convert anything into it. It's like the jazz of RPGs. Like, if you just understand, like, your target number for most things is four, and then you have, like, your modifiers that you have to go around that for, like, terrain or or lighting or... Armor. Yeah, or armor, you know, and... And it's a great, it's a great system because they sell the core rulebook for in PDF form for like ten dollars. And if you're reading, once you get your, once you wrap your head around it, you're like, I can do anything. And I'm taking. Go ahead. Is it like a full polyhedral system, or is it? Yeah. Okay. Cool. They use uh, they use D4, D6, D8, D10, and D12. And then uh, for turn order, they do cards. Yeah. So you do a deck of cards, and that decides where you go. 
And uh, depending on if you get a certain card, you get a plus two, or if you get certain other cards, you get a minus two. If you've never played it, uh, this is me introducing you to crack. <laughs> well, I mean, the stay thing is, away, it, stay it away makes from it, clubs. Yeah, clubs are <laughs> bad. It makes it, it makes it makes a. I mean, it, it's it's a great idea because it's it's a similar idea to what we had whenever we developed Morgulad. Mm-hmm. In the sense that you can take this rule set and put it with anything except ours is, you know, primarily D6, and our main setting is a, you know, pre-medieval fantasy, not post-apocalyptic. Well, like, but, uh, yeah, it's not. Like, uh, the, yeah. the Deadlands goes from Reloaded, which is Western, to Noir, which is murder mystery, to post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Um, I like Savage Worlds, and I also like Fate for the same reason, because you can pick it up and you can move it, and you as the GM or as the creator can throw in whatever you want. Um, Savage Worlds is my go-to system, but it's not the only system I play. It's just, you know, the only yeah. system I choose. Because yeah. <laughs> multi-setting multi systems like that, right. uh, you know, similar to what we designed, you know, Fate, you said, uh, Savage Worlds, things such as that, like in small, rural, southern towns, like where we're at, mm-hmm. you know, you don't get introduced to a lot. You know, right. most of the introductions you get are from online or online conventions or actual tangible conventions where you can walk inside, sit down with somebody, and play a game. Right. Um, like Steven said, the whole concept that vendors can come there and get all this free advertising, but they have to open up a game for people. That kind of forces an inclusivity, mm-hmm. so that you really wouldn't get at another convention because of not, at a regular walk-in convention. You know, you can just pay 180 bucks, have a booth, and not have to deal with anybody. Right. You know, just sell stuff and walk away. <laughs> I, I have actually, yeah, I have gone to, uh, and here in Roanoke, our big um, our big festival, our big con is Mysticon. Yeah. And we just wrapped up, and George R. R. Martin was our special guest of honor. Oh, that mm. must have cost. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Speaking from a vendor standpoint... Uh, the entire con moved wherever George R. R. Martin was. If he was in one area, then everything was around him. If he was in a different area, everything was around him. So you had these vendors that were in the vendor hall that George R. R. Martin wouldn't go to, and they would just sit there and stare off into space. <laughs> so that's that's one of the big issues. It's like when you get a con... One of the things I hate about cons is how long you wait in line for something. Yeah. You know, and you don't do that at AetherCon. You know, you get your connection, you get to play uh, if there's a space available, or you get to watch, or you get to be a part of it, um, and, and you don't have to wait all day because, you know, we're all just running at the speed of technology. Yeah. You can even you can even show up in your pajamas and people will not think you're doing cosplay. <laughs> or you could say it was cosplay. There you go. You have either the option. <laughs> that's what that's what we need to do, guys. We need to release a comic book where everybody's wearing their pajamas and now you have an excuse to wear it to con. Yeah. Okay, oh. so we really need to get Chris in here so we can pitch that idea to him. <laughs> um 
while I'm thinking about it, um, because we're talking about vendors and whatnot, uh, there's also something else we do, which comes out shortly before the convention. It's called the convention program. Mm -hmm. It's a downloadable PDF, and that features a variety of Q&As from different publishers, mm -hmm. um, usually publishers that have something that is being released around AetherCon or shortly thereafter. Right. And that's that's free to download. And uh, it's something we're particularly proud of. Uh, we usually use one of the wallpapers as a cover art. Um, wallpapers, um, we were talking about the speed paint before, now I'm just sort of, sort of going thought association here. <laughs> uh, some of the artists, they do wallpapers for us, which again are also free and downloadable. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some really great stuff there. I mean, uh, a couple of the guys that we've had in the past on the cover include uh, Jeremy McHugh, uh, Will O'Brien, uh, Chris has also done a cover, um, and uh, I mean, there's some really great art. Preston Stone did an outstanding wallpaper for us last year as well. Yep. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that one is still on my personal Facebook page. I think uh, I'd have to look, but uh, it's a you know we have, we're really fortunate to have these guys do this stuff for us. But that's also something you can look forward to come November is that uh, convention program. Right. And uh, to uh, kind of talk about it for a minute there, we're also going to be doing the Summer Roundtable Series. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, Steve, do you want to talk about that one or should I? Um, I can give you a, a little rough of, a rough of it and then you can take it from there. Basically, right. the Summer Roundtable Series is a series of podcasts which in which uh, we uh, you know grab up uh, publishers mm -hmm. and uh, they usually last between 70 and 90 minutes and uh, it's not so much I mean yes there's product pitch in there as there would be in most anything there is in this um, but for the most part uh, we want to get to know the people behind the games so these it's a much more relaxed uh, um, much more relaxed environment. It's not a buy, 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 save, save, save. <laughs> and uh, we've had some really good ones. We had, we had one. Uh, gee, was it last year? I think it was, or the year before, with uh, Clint and Jody Black. It was last and, year. Yeah, it was last year. Clint and Jody Black and Tim and Timothy Brown. Mm -hmm. And that was just hilarious. Tim Brown actually he uh, he runs the official group on Facebook, so he's a cool guy. I have a funny story about him, in all honesty. So I uh, I checked out his wish list, like his Amazon wish list, to see what he was going through, or as uh, RPG Now wish list, and uh, then I went and bought a PDF for myself. But by mistake, since I was on his wish list, it sent him to him instead of allowing me to download. And so I was like, uh, hey, Tim, um, yeah, I accidentally bought you that. Can, can you help me out here? And he's like, yeah, man, no problem. Just let me uh, contact him and tell him what happened. So they refunded me the money, but it was just one of those points where I just felt like I had completely brain farted on that one. <laughs> And Tim would say, oh, thanks for the free book. It's like, <laughs> people are buying me stuff now? What in the heck? Yeah, this is, yay, this is awesome. I get something. Oh, wait, they want it back. Oh, man, they want it back. 
It's like you just you just show them the package and then you take it away. What's up, Justin? <laughs> so was that like a Pavlovian thing that you were doing? You know. <laughs> Because I work in mental health doesn't mean that I'm an evil genius. <laughs> or at least not that I'll admit. No, I admit nothing. And neither confirm nor deny. Right. The weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be handling the summer roundtable series. Uh, we're going to have nine episodes, and they're going to lead up to AetherCon. Um. So, what it revolves around is, like Steve said, actually contacting people in the industry, uh, talking to people in the industry, and just be like, "Hey, man, uh, you know, what are some of your experiences? Do you have funny stories? Uh, are there things you enjoy? What are your thoughts on this? Or your thoughts on that? And, and what led you to gaming? Um, because I think that's what makes all of us in the community connect." whether we like a certain genre, whether we like a certain style, whether we like a certain system, we all came to the trough somehow. Yeah. Um, what can... Well, you know, who do we have so far? Um, let me get the, the sheet out. Uh, <laughs> I'll be looks that up, Stephen. Uh, how about you give us just a quick rundown of just two quick things I want to ask you. Um, one, just from a vendor standpoint, how can vendors get in on everything that's going on? And two, are there any type of cross-promotion or advertising opportunities? Because you mentioned, like, uh, free advertising. Okay, let's... Uh, the first one, um, you can email me, um, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, uh, like the Catholics spell it, uh, <laughs> at... Aethercon.com. That is A E. Well, I mean, it's on the screen, but I'll spell it anyway for those people who are not looking at a screen. Uh, A E T H E R C O N dot com. Um, I am, in addition to the event coordinator, I'm also the vendors hall coordinator. Um, and if you email me, uh, I can. Uh, well, I'll I'll get back to you, and then uh, we can take things forward from there. Um, in, you know, in regards to um, the advertising, the cross-promotion, uh, we have uh, a, um, a program it's called, hey, it's called the Supporters Program because we're, we're, all, about, we're all about really stretching for originality. Uh, and basically, we, there, there are six parts of this, and I'm going to see if I can remember all of them. Uh, there's the RPG Community Alliance, which is basically forum and chat-based communities. Uh, there is the Merchants Guild, which is uh, brick-and-mortar stores. There is um, the Bell and Scroll, which are blogs. Excuse me. Uh, there are There is the Tree of Tribes, which is social media groupings. Um... Excuse me. Called oh, darn it. I'm 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 drawing a blank. I know there's two more. Grr. <laughs> help! Help me. <laughs> of course, I probably don't have this thing up, right? <laughs> While you're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and say that who we have confirmed right now is Steve Long with Hero Games, 
and uh, Michael Cheney with Onyx Path Publishing. Both of them are confirmed. Uh, we've got some feelers out there. And uh, if you are watching and you are a creator or someone in the industry and you'd like to be a part of the Summer Roundtable series, uh, you can email me or Steve uh, at, I believe it is Dustin Smith or is it Taylor? Con right here. Hold on. Let me log in. It's uh, Dustin S. Dustin S. Yeah. <laughs> I like the little theme music that came right up at the end of that. <laughs> Dustin uh, da -da 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 -da. <laughs> That was actually that, that was actually uh, Pelgrim Press getting back to us via yeah. email. Oh. <laughs> Did they confirm? Because that would be great. We could just confirm them here. <laughs> Boom. There's no, the big this, announcement. Uh, yeah, no, this wasn't this wasn't for SRS. This was just in regards to the vendors hall. Gotcha. And I mean, I'll, I'll read it afterwards, but uh, yeah, I did notice that it said uh, Pelgrim Press in the title of the email. Yeah, it's so I know a, that they've they've gotten back to us. Email Dustin S at aethercon.com if you would like to be featured in the Summer Roundtable series. Uh, we've got a few more spots open, and plus, you get to uh, deal with my crazy face. <laughs> uh, we will be using. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm under the impression now there's a good chance we'll be using Google Hangouts if possible. So that's YouTube exposure, embedded links. People pretty much get to uh, get to put that up there on their sites for free. Again, like Steve says, it's it's advertising and it's free. Um, I, I can also confirm that RHEL Partha Europe mm -hmm. is also, uh, they're, they're also on uh, the SRS this summer. Uh, Rel Partha Europe was one of the uh, 16 uh, miniature companies that take part in uh, the Cleric Fighter Wizard Rogue, the miniature painting uh, tourney, mm -hmm. and they won it last year. Right. So uh, <laughs> the Paul Reed and the painter Mortis Logan are confirmed. It's possible there will be more. But those so they're two are coming back to defend their title, correct? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd imagine so. But yeah. uh, they are confirmed for the SRS as well. Yeah, there's and others it, we're working on that we can't kind of we really can't say right now because they're not confirmed yet. But those right. two, right? We yeah. we we are working on people. It's just we're we're waiting to get word back. Um, and yeah, this isn't just for people who like to roll dice. This is for artists and uh, for writers as well. I mean, this is like if you've not experienced the joy of it, then. Definitely check it out. Just get involved in the community. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the other thing with Aethercon is the fact that because you don't have to go anywhere, geography ceases to be a barrier. Right. right? I mean, uh, if you want to go to a major con, I mean, you're usually talking, and and it's not in your backyard. You're probably talking four figures by the yeah. time you're by the time you're talking travel, hotel, mm -hmm. whatever you're going to eat. Any con badges or game game badges you have to buy, and that's a big investment. That just is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And there, there are there are a lot of places. Never mind in the world. There's a lot of places in North America that right. where that have people who game, but are nowhere near a major yeah. convention. You know, and then once you expand that over to Europe and into the Pacific Rim and where have you, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are there are tons of people out there who simply just can't get to a convention. Last year uh, for AetherCon four, I uh, I was one of the moderators, and I just posted the link, and some of the people in my Skype group were like, "Well, hey, what is this?" and and I'm like, "Well, this is AetherCon. Just come out to it." So there were people in England, in like Cambridge, and in uh, in Wales that were just sitting there watching it, and then got involved in some games. And the time difference between that is insane. We're talking about people that are in the UK playing against or with people that are in California. <laughs> I mean, while while a guy in Virginia is talking to a fellow from Australia, it's beautiful. <laughs> this was uh, quite hilarious. I was really surprised. I mean, uh, Chaosium did a lot with us last year, and we were really happy for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Mason, uh, uh, you know, he put up his game, and I would say within a half a day of pre-registration being open, it was booked out, just right. gone. And so, like, a few weeks later, John Hook also put up a game. But his game started at 3 a.m. in the morning. Right. It also booked out. Right, at 3 in the morning. 3 in the morning, Eastern Standard Time, six players, booked out. You know, and that's just crazy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but... uh, yeah, we're we're really happy to have them on board, and we you know um, already within 48 hours of sending out the first uh, vendors hall pokes, we have eight confirmations. So, right, I mean things are proceeding apace. It's really good. Yeah, and the the event is going to be in November, and it's March now, so people have time to get involved. But yeah. I would say go ahead if you if you're really heartfelt about it, go ahead and. Decide within the next three months so you can sort of like find your niche. Yeah. You know I mean, because that's when we're going to start doing the summer roundtable series is within the next three months. And really, I'm thinking that it would be a good idea to go ahead and, and film some people early before they hit the con circuit. Again, that's something beautiful is the fact that we can actually like get something going on beforehand. Yeah, you I know. mean, that is the thing. I mean, I mean, it's it's no secret, you know, the summer con season starts in May and it goes until like Labor Day, mm-hmm. and that can be a real hectic time for a lot of publishers, which right. is why you know we're starting to roll out those vendor hall pokes now because we just you know let's be honest we don't want to get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, yeah. and, and we have to be way too long. Everybody else is going to be booked up. Right, and yeah. we have the flexibility to do that where other cons wouldn't. You know, they would be stuck because they have the location, they have to deal with travel, and and time, time, and space are not as big of factors for us just because of our format and our our system, and we're improving that system actually. We like Steve and uh, Brad and John. You're involved too. Uh, yeah. Have put a lot of work into coming up with and sort of like hashing it out and you know sometimes we'll butt heads on certain things but I, the system <laughs> is improving <laughs> and that's so what's I'm important a hat right now <laughs> yeah he's got he's all black and blue right up in there <laughs> so uh, oh 
Speaking of improvements, one of the things that uh, we are doing is we are bringing all of the event registration in-house this year. Mm -hmm. uh, we had in the past used Warhorn. That's all being brought in-house. So right. you don't have to go to a secondary site and register, and then, you know, it'll be a much simpler process this year. Right. And, and if, you're, um, if you're a blogger or you like to just make small, basic content, AetherCon is your friend because <laughs> you can just throw yourself out there. You know? That's... Those are the other two things. Um, talking drums mm -hmm. for podcasters and the concentric circle for other conventions. That's right. We are your friends. We are not your competition. <laughs> we don't have to rent the space. We don't have to fight for the guest. Uh, we are your friends. Call us up and just be like, hey, can you hook me up with so-and-so? And we're like, well, hey, come on. And yeah. I mean, in the past, we have actually uh, um, paired up with cons taking place on the same weekend. This weekend, it's November 11th to 13th. Right. Uh, in the past, we have actually paired up with com conventions, and we've had, like, panel guests or Q&As being broadcast live from their convention. Yeah, and we will do that. We will, we will work with brick-and-mortar conventions. We're not opposed to them. Uh, we just like the idea of sitting around talking smack and playing games. <laughs> so, you know, if you have something going on like that, look us up. Try to get involved, you know. We can only help one another because of our format. And the That's format, the there, there's a lot to say about the format because with AetherCon being an online gaming convention, uh, I saw recently... Uh, earlier in the year where Roll20 was actually thinking about trying it themselves. Uh, I guess it's because, you know, it's starting to catch on. It's becoming more of a thing. But in this situation, like a tangible convention, like we already discussed the cost to participants, but you also got to look at the fact that the convention handlers, they're limited to what they can do because they have to rent the space. They have to organize. They have to do all this. Then they have to pay the attendees, like the big name guests, like you. You mentioned George R. R. Martin was that right. one of them. You know, right. they have to pay some of these attendees just to show up and make appearances. You know, plus well, food and travel and so yeah. on. And 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 lodgings. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. right. And with AetherCon, it's just like, hey, you know, you're going to be hanging out around the house. You know, you got a camera. Why don't you hop on and just shoot the bull with us for a little while? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just talk about what you love. Uh, in the safety of your own home, and if you're not in the safety of your own home, I mean, you can be at another convention. We are not offended if you're somewhere else. I mean, you know, if eat Cheetos, if if things get like slack at the con you're at, pull out your iPhone and start checking out what's going on at AetherCon. You know. But. Uh... Oh, darn it. I had a thought, and it just went, gone. Um, <laughs> so, just, I, I see that we're getting close to, you know, roughly the, the, the time mark, um, and we've pretty much done a pretty good rundown on AetherCon. So, let's dip in, you know, before we close into both of you guys. Do you all have any, like, uh, funny gaming stories or anything such as that? Let me, let me ask Dustin one. <laughs> Dustin, yeah. what 
is the villain as a game master you are most proud of? Well, that's a tough one. Um, that is a real tough one. Um, I would say it's a tie. Um, for one, you just fought the anti-god in uh, Escape from New York. And uh, for those of you who don't know, it was based off of John Carpenter's movie, The Prince of Darkness. <laughs> <clears throat> and if you're going to rep a name like the Anti-God, you better be stacked when you come out to fight. <laughs> so he didn't have any stats. You were Basically. fighting a monster with no stats, and every time his turn came around, he did 2d10 heavy weapon damage. The only way to beat him was at a dramatic task to get a containment field around him. Oh. And I'm serious. He he was brutal. Like, uh, Steve can tell you, everybody was just, like, clenching the seat because it, when his turn came up, you know, it was like, are we going to die? We are going to die if we don't <laughs> finish this as fast as we can. Yeah. Well, one of them had to be taken off a field already, you know. Yeah, he, he decided to be taken away. Yeah, and uh, we had another player, and I got to say, Lou, uh, Lou, if you're listening, rock on, man. Tingo Warrior was awesome. Who was playing a cyborg who had a toughness that was insanely high. Like, you know, he was a walking tank, and uh, and he was taking like mad damage. Yeah, it just didn't matter. It did not matter because, like, that one, the anti-god was going to kill everything it came across. And if the party didn't stop him, he was going to just eat the whole world. Yeah, but given that there's, like, zombies on this side of the Mississippi, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, another really good villain, and this goes back to Deadlands Noir. So when I was running Deadlands Noir, the goal was never to kill the players. Never to kill them. It was always to corrupt them. And when I, when I run a game, I make it to where the player is forced to make these really hard choices. And I had one guy in my game, and he was an absolute troll. I knew him in real life. He was a friend of mine. But so help me, he just he could not wrap his head around being a decent human being. <laughs> <laughs> so he he started out as a detective, just a regular detective, but he was such a jerk to everybody. Like he would insult the witnesses, he would just like he would murder Hobo his whole way through, you know, didn't have a place to live, <laughs> didn't really take his job seriously. He was always trying he was so busy committing crimes. So if you've ever played Deadlands, you know about the Harrods. The Harrods are Undead. Like, you can kill a player and then you can bring them back to life as an undead, demon possessed character. And that's what I did with him. <laughs> and, and it was beautiful because they can heal themselves. So instead of killing him like he wanted so he could just make up another character to be a troll with, I just kept beating his character down. I never went for the kill shot, I'd always incapacitate him. <laughs> And then it gets better because I started like giving him. Who was the villain in this? <laughs> oh, it gets to that. It gets to that. I started like giving him this little cult, and then suddenly I gave him this little bar, and then, 
you know, like the demon that was like that was inside of him started changing. He started he stopped looking like this decrepit old man. He started looking like John Hamm from Mad Men, <laughs> and he started talking more confidently and getting more involved. You know, and he, I kept making the player more powerful because he was just doing all of this crazy troll stuff to derail the game. You know, he'd sell drugs. He'd try to like start a brothel. You know. He'd, like, give whiskey to children. And then I did the big reveal where the demon that had possessed him was the patron spirit of vice. And so all of the crazy stuff that he'd been doing suddenly made sense. He wasn't trolling at that point. He was actually playing a character that he didn't know he was playing. <laughs> The guy quit that session. <laughs> Just walked out. And so I took on his character as an NPC who was now this criminal mastermind. It was beautiful. <laughs> so, like, one of my best villains was really not a character, but a player who thought he was being smart. <laughs> I still think you're the villain in that story, to be honest. Oh, with yeah. I will own that. Because <laughs> Noir had nothing. Like, I would get the chance to kill a player, and then, like, whoever was going to kill them would say, well, instead of killing you, how about we work out a deal? <laughs> I, I, it was all about corrupting them. It was all about taking the player's mind and making them make these little concessions until their character became pure evil. And I had like two or three player characters that became the villain over the entire span of the series. <laughs> that's, that's always the interesting thing, is to see exactly how people will react to certain situations. Like you were explaining that you had one guy that just kept trolling the whole time and just kept yeah. derailing everything, and then you... Threw something, threw a monkey wrench in his whole plan, and then he had to either keep role playing it, or it didn't make any sense at that point for him. Yeah, no, it didn't. Now we, I, I actually have the other end of that where I went through the same exact issue in our home game here with a guy that uh, essentially has become the equivalent of a lich, mm -hmm. um, and he's basically he, you know, new player, new guy, still getting into it, still having to break the whole meta wall and everything of immersion. Right. And, uh, you know, we threw out that apparently uh, he was cursed by his former teacher, uh, his former master. And uh, it's a curse that since he was cursed as a child, his curiosity was amplified. And that's what wound up getting him into all the, all the trouble and all the crap that he kept finding himself in. That's why he kept winding, winding up in places that he wasn't really supposed to be in. And rather than getting upset and quitting about it, he's like, you know what, that makes perfect sense. I'm going to do it more. <laughs> And so he actually took it serious, and he actually role-played the curse. And, so, I mean, and, and he's actually sticking with all the deities and everything that align with that particular path of magical corruption. So. I, I was playing in a 5e game. And, you know, D20 isn't my system. I mean, some people love it. It's one of the most popular systems out there now. It's just not my system. Yeah. And... I played a trickery cleric whose patron deity was Alidamara. 
So I had a really low intelligence score, but my charisma was psychotically high. It was insane. <laughs> we had a barbarian, and all he wanted to do was kill stuff. There, there was no such thing as an NPC. There was only walking XP. <laughs> <laughs> So we want, so like they're trying to sneak up on a mercenary camp and they're just going to like jump out and kill everybody. And I walk up to the fire and I'm like, hail brothers, hail Tiamat. And they're like, oh, hello fellow mercenary. And so I just sit there and I shoot the breeze with them and I get the, the name of the guy that led that particular party. And I just say, well, you know, we're going to head on up. And it's like, yeah, well, have fun. So we walk up further down the path and then all of a sudden like, uh, archers wearing black armor, you know, like stealthy knight archers just appear and they're like, halt, who goes there? And my character, you know, the barbarian's prepping to like cut everybody down, but then he's like, oh, these guys are going to kill us. This is going to be a hard fight. So my character steps out and says, oh my gosh, thank goodness you're here. So-and-so, the leader of the camp back there, says this fire's going to get out of control and we're going to give away our position. <laughs> And so this one guy walks up and he says, what's your name? And I say, my name is Inigo Montoya. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, well, I hope you know that I'm the quartermaster and I know everyone's name and I don't know any Inigo Montoya. So I'm just like, I'm sitting there like, what do I do? And all of a sudden I'm like, you, you're the reason I don't have any gear. You're the reason I have to loot everything. And I just start freaking out, roll charisma. It, it goes super high, and he's like, chill out, calm down, I'll write you down, we'll get you some gear. And so he writes Inigo Montoya <laughs> in his ledger, and we literally walk into the camp of Tiamat. <laughs> and the barbarian quits. <laughs> he quits that session because instead of fighting... And dying, instead of, like, losing all of our hit points to, like, gain nothing, we just walk in there. <laughs> oh, man. Let's see, the, the trickery aspect is always a fun one, because mm -hmm. I remember one of the first games that I was ever introduced to was second edition, AD&D. Right. Uh, and uh, it was, for some reason, you know, uh, you know, I wasn't able to play as often as as the other guys because of you know uh, circumstances that were going on you know back then with the whole D and D's the devil situation. Right. So whenever I would show up, I would try to play something that was disposable, or I would help to create villains for the uh, the DM for next time. Mm -hmm. And so I created a drow cleric of of loth. And so he had a mask on, he had gloves, he had robes and everything. So you had no idea this was a drow. He purposely wore shackles, even though he was the general of a army that was invading a, a keep where all of the players were. Mm -hmm. And so there's a couple high-level players that have the fly ability. They fly over and start scouting to see if there's any prisoners. They see me, they pick me up, bring me to the keep, and save me, so to say, from the evil army that's marching across. And uh, we get in there, and I say, well, hey, um, I heard them talking about a secret entrance into this keep that's going that they're going to use to invade. Um, we can use it as a back way to get out now before they arrive. Mm -hmm. Since you guys saved me so well, we uh, <laughs> they all you know I, I you know pass all my bluff checks and everything. So we wind up going down into this tunnel that none of them knew about, 
and we get about, I'd say about 50, 60 feet down, the tunnel collapses behind us, and out steps from the shadows is Jarlaxle. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> they all just start looking around, and he says, well, Cleric, what brings you here? And I take off the mask, the gloves, and pull down my cloak, and I say, I brought them to you. And then I turned around and walked away. <laughs> See, that's, that's like strategy. That's smart. <laughs> Like and the, so there's still to this day a barbarian in the Underdark that, you know, long story short, the party was captured, only one survived. The barbarian is butt naked. He stole the executioner's axe. And there's a butt naked barbarian with an axe still hunting my cleric to this day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh I'm my in, gosh, uh, there's a romance novel in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a 5e game that uh, I play on Fridays. Uh, shout out to uh, Anthony the Jim. He's doing a good job with it. We're actually playing in Greyhawk, um, the the city, which is under yeah. just under attack. Uh, uh, most people have been turned into vampires, and there's a vampire army, or no, hmm. there's a, there's a half orc army, or orc army, with half orcs, I guess. Uh, there's a pair of drow armies, and they're up against a pair of. Uh, Oh, and there's and and there's some dragons, and they're up against us and a pair of elven armies. Um, but the character that uh, that I I, am, I chose, I mean, this is not so much a a, a story as a description of character. Um, he is a he is a tiefling. He's called Carthos Verskrelian. Um, but there's this place that you can go to called Cobalt's Alley, and you can bet portions of your soul against portions of other people's soul. And if you win, you take on a bit of their appearance and you get some of their abilities. Now, um, Carthos is one of these small, loudmouth guys. He speaks like this, and he calls everybody <laughs> Pally. Hey, Pally, watch what you're saying. You know, and and uh, he has gone into Cobalt's Alley and won so many times that he's now wearing Mind Flare tentacles as dreadlocks. He's got he's got a pair of dragon ears from a fairy dragon. Uh, he's got uh, whiskers from uh, a Rakasha, and he's got a beholder eye sticking out of the top of his head, which he you know. Which he just casually has looking around all the time, just to just to spook everybody else. <laughs> you, know, you know, just think, he's in a he's in the town council meeting, and he's actually trying to be a part of the council. He is now, by the way. And while he was making his plea, his eye was kind of just looking randomly around at everybody. Um, but uh, I mean, right now he is actually trying to open up a a. Uh, a roadhouse and casino. Um, roadhouse. Yes, he has <laughs> he has hired a house band called Asher Funkley and the Funeral Urns of Doom. <laughs> the uh, the drummer is uh, half orc, half rock troll. The bass player is a half orc. Uh, the guitar player is some kind of unknown race, but he has four arms, so he can play a double double neck lute. Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, he's trying to make it the 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 place where everybody goes. That's a traveler. It's uh, located south of Greyhawk, just outside the gates, and so it's kind of the place where all the travelers go. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's, I'm having a it's a it's a real fun campaign, and uh, the guys in it are, are a lot of fun. 
but um, I don't know. I guess if you if you if you're talking about the the stupidest thing that ever happened, that that would harken back to my university days. I was a uh, half elf ranger, and my my big thing was I'd always climb up a tree and shoot from the tree because you know I was high up in the air. I was 60, 70 feet. And that was well within range of my bow, but no one else could get me. That's what I did. Yeah. And uh, well, we were hap- You know, we were actually playing in the invincible state. Uh, invincible, yeah. The uh, the city state of the invincible overlord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a long one. Um, and uh, we were in the in the uh, forest outside of that, and we came upon this family of trolls. Uh, so, uh, you know, we ended up killing, uh, the child troll, which was a good eight feet tall. Um, and, uh, so then the big daddy troll came out and we, and, you know, we ended up killing him. It was myself and a paladin and a, and a cleric. And I was up in my tree, of course. And so out comes Miss, out comes mama troll and she's got this pot. And I take a shot, and I hit her. And so she looks at me, and she tosses this pot, and sure enough, knocks me out of this tree some 70 feet in the air. Nailed me. And it was like, okay, one to three, you land, and then the pot lands around you. Four to six, you land, and then the pot lands on top of you. Right? And I was fortunate because the pot landed around me because I took off. I took a whole whack of damage and nearly died from that fall. <laughs> wow! <laughs> but so, uh, yeah. So I, Stephen, um, let me ask you, what is uh, what is something interesting that uh, that you could throw at a dragon while running away that that has no effect whatsoever? <laughs> whenever I've been, whenever I've encountered this situation, I've always gone for one of two things: either PB and J, or uh, last year's TV guide, which previews all of that fall shows. <laughs> Neither of these things have been effective, and I've always had to run away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, in your, so you've had interesting games where they've allowed you to have the TV guide, the PBJ in them. <laughs> I'm talking real life, man. Don't you know the dragon? Oh, really? <laughs> what happens in the Philippines stays in the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> no, as far as far as dragons, though, and some of the dumbest stuff ever, um, we had uh, another one of our second edition games back when. Um, we found this magical floating castle. You know, everybody's, you know, Robes, and we've all got you know spider climb and all this other junk as far as enchanted items, and so we have these these wands of fireball and lightning, and we all come up with this. Just I mean, we spend like 50 minutes outside in the garage, you know, away from the DM who's sitting in the living room, and we're all just figuring out with the map the strategic locations for us to get to. We all get to our proper locations, and within one round before this dragon wakes up, you know, while it's still slumbering. We all fire off at the same time, and we kill it within a round. And the DM just looks at us. He says, very good, but you do realize the door is shut. You're all out of charges now. And there's four baby dragons as well. 
Right. That was underneath the mother. So it's just like, well, that's a game. <laughs> I I do have a Dragon Tail on a different five uh, E game I played. Uh, Kyle was the DM, and I it was uh, a black dragon in a pool of water, and I had you know I just said you know what um, I was a fighter and I had. Uh, Two attacks around plus that thing you do, which I cannot think of the name of, where um, you get one attack, uh, extra attack on one round uh, per long rest, and yeah. I cannot think what it's called. <laughs> uh, I went up there. I said, "Okay, you know what? I'm gonna take hacks at it, and I'm just gonna aim at its neck." And I made. Uh, Oh, and I also I also had a dancing longsword. That's what the other one. Was. So I did four attacks in this thing. I did not roll lower than a thirty-two. And nice. I basically decapitated it in one round. <laughs> and, the, and the DM kind of just, oh, you've got, you know, he did not expect. He, he thought this was going to be a long drawn out fight, and I didn't. You know, come on, I, I <laughs> was not planning on rolling that. It just happened. <laughs> So that that reminds me of a somewhat similar story in which I was the GM. Uh, it was a hell on earth. Uh, it was a hell on earth game, and I had uh, added in elements from the sci-fi companion and so on and so forth to create a scenario where the xenomorph queen from Aliens had infected an alien and crash-landed in this military base, and they tried to save the alien, but of course that leads to the whole situation. <laughs> so the base's AI reaches out to the heroes, and it tells them it needs their help to... It's, they won't be able to contain the monsters until they kill the queen, you know. Uh, and for the queen, I reskinned a dragon, you know. I took away the flight ability and gave her wall walker, and uh, instead of doing fire damage, she did acid damage to just okay. fit. In Savage Worlds, you can do that. Yeah. You can reskin monsters so easily just by changing the trappings and moving some stuff around. Yeah. So I had this one guy <clears throat> who was a martial arts-based character, and uh, he hadn't played before. Like, he was, he was a World of Darkness guy. He didn't play Savage Worlds. Yeah. And he's like, well, I really don't know what to play. I had made a character for another guy uh, that was also a martial artist uh, who had a theme of being Elvis. <laughs> and, and so, like, I just duplicated that, and that character that was Elvis was the king, and then the other character that my World of Darkness guy was the prince. <laughs> and he got into it, and he has kind of like this obsessive personality, so he read through the whole thing, and he built this monster character with his advances. So we get down there to like the final fight with the Xenomorph Queen and they're like face huggers running around and they're like killer robots activating and things are going wild. And this one guy runs up and kicks the Xenomorph Queen in the face <laughs> and does 54 damage. And I just stare at the screen, like, did that just happen? 
Dude just kicked the queen in the face, and there's no way to soak all of that damage. So, congratulations. <laughs> Michael Jackson just kicked the crap. <laughs> Speaking so. of uh, Elvis-type characters, um, I was in a Pathfinder game a while back, um, and I had a... Uh, a uh, witch was a dual. It was a multi-class. Jeez, uh, was it a a witch, a summoner witch? That's what it was. And I based this character off of Dean Martin. So I mean, <laughs> he was a boozer, and he and and uh, you know he 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 was bringing he was trying to bring swing music back in you know back into the Riverlands. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, and he had his band, you know, he's, you know, so he's, you know, hey, it's a holiday in Cambodia. Yes, it is. You know, <laughs> and, and those are the kinds of songs he was singing. So, um, you know, so uh, it was, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of, I mean, there are stories there, but there's too many of them. <laughs> but, yeah, he ended up starting his whole, a whole band of spies that were his musicians because musicians move around. Yeah. Right. So he had his, you know, and he had a music, a, a music uh, shop that was like the quote-unquote headquarters. Nice. And, right. So you know the the bands would tour around and and you know that's things happen in bars. Right. So, but yeah, you know that and Donna Summer's Hot Stuff was another real big hit. Of. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So did he have a speakeasy in the back of his music shop? Um, no, no, he did not. I mean, there were enough bars around where, you know, he, um, but, uh, excuse me, um, you know, there no pro- There was no problem getting alcohol. Um, <laughs> and he also, he also had his critters. I mean, that yeah. was, that's the lo- lovely thing about Pathfinder is, was summoners, because he was a master summoner, so he was just tossing, he was just whelping out critters left, right, and center. Uh, <laughs> And it was a lot of fun, you know. But yeah, uh, I really wish I could still play him. <laughs> well, it's uh, looking like 11 p.m. here Central Time, so I think now is probably a good time to go ahead and uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up, stop the broadcast, and then uh, um, if you guys want to hang out, we can hang out for a little while and chat about Google Hangouts. <laughs> there's one last thing I do have to to say. Uh, mm-hmm. None of this is possible, AetherCon, without mm-hmm. the talents of Justin Andrew Mason, who is our webmaster. Right. That guy deserves a whole whack of credit for uh, helping us out. Yeah, thank I mean, you. Uh, <laughs> there, there just isn't an AetherCon without him. Yeah, you know, he needs to be recognized. Brad too. Uh, Justin's definitely Justin and Brad. Uh, you don't see them, but they they keep us going. <laughs> <laughs> They're also the two technically smartest guys out there that we have. Yeah, so we have to kiss their butts. <laughs> <laughs> and any emails and everything such as that, I'm going to want to put in the show notes. So that way, uh, if anybody downloads this podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud or TuneIn or anything, they'll be able to just look straight at the screen and get all that information on everybody. Mm-hmm.
that's it for tonight's episode of the Magnav Games Podcast. Background music was provided by Joe Baden. You can find more of our podcasts along with all our gaming products and accessories at magnavgames.com. Links there also to our Shoutcast stream. There's a donate button there if you'd like to help pay for it all. Your support makes us all possible. I appreciate it very much. Thanks to those who have donated and thanks for joining me today. I'll be back again soon with another episode of the Magnav Games Podcast. The Magnav Games Podcast is produced by and for magnavgames.com. Rebroadcast of this show without permission is strictly prohibited.